May the Salesforce force be with you. Man, this um, acquisition rumor really sucked all the oxygen out of the news this week. Right? It did. I mean, because we talked about this last week. It had just, I think it just happened. And so, you know, Salesforce stock popped, you know, eight or nine or 10%. And based on these, this rumor that, who was it? Bloomberg that announced? I think I think it was their first report that that Salesforce. Yeah, it seems to be Bloomberg that's kind of driving a lot of this speculation. And what, what was the original one that Salesforce had to hire um, a banking firm to first? It was to fend off. Remember, we found that in their in the slug of the in the URL. It said right. Salesforce hires bankers to fend off bids, but they had changed the title to Salesforce hires banking firm to field bids. Right. So they had had already revised the story in the same post. But since then, you know, this whole week it's been, I mean, there have been hundreds, if not thousands of articles about, about this and the rumors and the possibilities and who is it and what are the implications and all that kind of stuff. There's like, I mean, I was thinking, I've been capturing these articles thinking, okay, we'll, we'll go through these different scenarios and everything. There's just too many. So I don't know. I guess we can just pick a few. They're kind of saying the same things. I mean, they they all have the same underlying theories behind what direction it would go if someone was going to buy it. There's, there's obviously a small list of candidates who could actually buy Salesforce. Okay, it's very just, small. So for, just for completeness, who are they? Who do you think they are? Um, Oracle, Microsoft, IBM is up there, SAP. Okay, and I've also heard Google. There was a whole article about how this makes sense for Google, which I completely disagree with. I think with, that's a but, stretch. I don't think, I don't think yeah. Google has any interest in, in Salesforce. No, I think, and I think Google has no idea how to run an enterprise software. I mean, they're all about consumer products for the most part. I mean, I know there's some exceptions, but it's, right. they don't have the capability. They don't have, I mean, they'd have to, I mean, I guess they'd be buying that capability, but it just, I don't know. That would be a weird fit. It would. And, you know, from that list, we can pretty much based on recent reports and things that CEOs of these companies have said, or even just kind of what they have in the bank. So the, the industry is pretty much already marked off IBM just saying that they don't have enough cash in the bank to do this. And SAP, the CEO, has kind of been pretty open about saying, we're, we're not interested. We're doing our thing, basically. Yeah, so I love that. So the guy's name is Bill McDermott, SAP CEO. He says, we always tried to buy assets that were best in class or that were ascending in value and actually bring new and innovative solutions to the market. Um it's kind of a kind of a slam, but then he comes right out and says, "We have never bought something that we thought was impaired or on the decline or actually commoditized, and therefore have zero interest in Salesforce. Nor have we ever had any interest in Salesforce." And so that leaves us with uh, Oracle and Microsoft. Yeah, and so do I know Microsoft has the cash. Mm-hmm. Um, what do they have? Like what seventy or eighty billion dollars? Does Oracle actually have the cash? Oracle is said to have the cash. I think they have like forty billion in cash. I, I believe I read that somewhere. But there's so many numbers floating around in the billions that I, I just can't keep them all straight. So don't quote me on that. But Oracle seems to have the the cash for it, and everyone seems to agree, agree that it would be the best fit for Oracle. And if Mark wants to have a future in Oracle, that that he could go with Oracle and eventually take on the CEO role there. So, okay, so Salesforce, what is their, what is their current um, market cap? It's over, it's almost, it's got to be over something. No, it's over 50 now, right? Is it? 
Yeah, it's got to be. Um, what do they list this range? I want market cap. Where's market cap? Oh, 40. Okay. 47 billion is where they're at. So they, yeah. Wow. That was more than that because their stock went from what? 60 something new up to like 74 now. Yeah. Okay. So, we're, so it's a $47 billion acquisition and they may, and a, and a, an acquirer may have to pay a premium, right? Too. So it could end up being, you know, 50, $55 billion acquisition just to make shareholders and people happy and it's not going to be pure cash so it'll be no, cash it'll be and stock, stock right and, so yeah. that's the other thing i was just but you obviously you do have to have a, a big piece of it, it'll be cash so okay and i just looked up oracle and they have i think this is recent um 40 almost 44 billion in cash so they'd between stock and cash they, they could swing it i mean it would be they'd have to dig a little but i think i think either of them, either of them would have to dig some right um so yeah i think it's i think it's either microsoft or oracle and the question is you know was it either of them or was this just all, you know, some kind of some kind of seeded rumor? Because Salesforce wanted, you know, some attention, or they wanted obviously look what happened to their stock, right? Yeah. I mean, anytime there's news of a of a coincidentally, po- <laughs> uh, Mark just sold some shares a couple well, of days ago, didn't he? We talked about that. So those are all planned out, right? This yeah. was nothing. I mean, he sells. I, I did the math once. It's it's about a million dollars a day worth of stock, and it's a long term plan that's registered with the SEC and. I, but there are these bots that go around and pick up this, um, I guess, the data about insiders selling, you know, these registered planned sales and turn them into articles as if it's some kind of news. And so people will see. I think that I think it's even fooled me before. I'll, I'll see an article that says, you know, you know, Salesforce CEO, you know, sells twenty five thousand dollars. Well, yeah, he does every day. Every day he sells that amount, that much stock. Be nice, huh? million yeah. dollars every day. Just just to know that's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the timing definitely was kind of nice that, you know, got a nice little bump out of it. Yeah. But if it's every day, it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. Right. Now, if it was like once a month or once a year, then that, that's like striking gold right there. I mean, I think he, I think he owns like $3 billion worth of Salesforce stock. So, I mean, if you sell a million dollars a day, I mean, that's, um, um, actually I think this article did mention how much he owns and I think it's like 37 million shares. It says 37.66 million shares or 5.75% of Salesforce.com's Inc.'s market cap. Okay, so 37 million times. What's it worth right now? 74? Yeah, 2.8 billion, 2.7 billion. So he's got, I mean, he can just keep selling that for a long time and collecting that million bucks a day. Man, not a bad deal, huh? Not bad at all. Um. Yeah, so I, guess, it, the, so I guess, I mean, you can rule SAP. I, that was such a strong statement from SAP that I, th- I think yeah. they're out of it. Now, Microsoft, I don't think Microsoft initiated this. I mean, from, from what I'm reading and from the passing comments that people are making, you know, under anonymous or, you know, you know, don't put my name on this type, type scenario. It, it sounds like Microsoft heard about the rumor and then said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a shot at it. But they, they weren't the one that initiated the initial discussion. So it very well could have well, been a situation where Oracle said, hey, we, we want to talk about doing this. And and maybe Microsoft got wind of it and said, hey, we'll take a shot at this too. Yeah. Again, there could have been no bidder. This could have been just bankers drumming up interest. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's, you know, when people hear, for example, like the, the, the word is, is that Microsoft has always had a long-term plan to at least consider buying Salesforce once Salesforce became available. Right. Well, as soon as you start hearing rumors that shit, maybe, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? <laughs> Dang. 
Salesforce may be available, right? I th- so I think if you can say it on TV, you can say it on the podcast. And I think, I well, think that word is, is something you can see on TV. No, only on cable channels. Oh, this well, is kind of cable, this right? Is cable. Yeah, we're not, yeah. we're not using uh, airwaves for this. <laughs> this is not broadcast. So, so yeah, so my, you know, I, I guess Microsoft sees that, you know, maybe some, sounds like uh, Salesforce might be available. So you hire, you hire bankers or whatever, and you immediately start working on a plan and figuring out, you know, do you want to bid on this? And, you know, what's it worth to you? What is it going to look like? Whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so supposedly Microsoft is, is, has always had a plan to at least consider bidding for, for, for Salesforce. Um, but the interesting thing about, you know, so you, you want to get into like what it would be like for Microsoft or Oracle and the, you know, yeah, we can, but I think, I think I wanted to explore a little bit about, you know, is this something that's really going to happen? I mean, I think I think anything is for sale at the let, right let price. Let me get my crystal ball out. No, I'm just saying anything's for sale at the right price. But he, I mean, with all the things Benioff right. has been doing lately, I mean, he's building that. He's got that huge tower coming. You know, the the pinnacle. You know, with with the Salesforce logo at the top of it. Yep. You know, and that's coming up soon. Yeah. Well, that's that wouldn't stop, right? There's not. I mean, an acquisition would not stop that process. Yeah, but it 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 says to me that this wasn't something Salesforce initiated or said. Hey, you know, I think we're interested in kind of selling this thing. You know, I think it, this was something initiated by someone else, not Salesforce. I don't think anything about their plans or anything that they're doing right now indicates that they had any interest in selling. Well, so here's my conspiracy theory is that, you know, we've talked, I know we've talked about this a lot. <coughs> Salesforce is having trouble being profitable and growing, right? It's almost like you can, you can only solve one of those. You can't solve both. And Benioff has completely staked his staked out his position, which is not profitability because he doesn't care about shareholders. He's made that very clear. <laughs> um, it's, it's about getting to 10 billion, right? Right. Well, if they are ha- if they are seeing some headwinds in terms of getting to 10 billion as fast as what he said, or if they're having, if they, if they're seeing um, some, some uh, sales and revenue that are going to, that are indicating that they may be, they may even tr- be trouble, um, ha- be having trouble uh, even sticking into like a 20% revenue growth rate. I mean, if they drop below 20, they're in big trouble and their stock would totally take a dump. And so if you're, if you're not going to be able to, uh, if you, if you're seeing that kind of, those kind of problems in the future and there's really no great solution to it, start the rumors, you know, hire the banking firm. It, you know, at least it'll pump up the stock, right? I mean, people have already raised their, their price targets for Salesforce now, just based on a completely baseless rumor. I mean, I saw targets go up from, you know, mid seventies to mid eighties, just over this, just over nothing. So that's good. Um, so are you thinking that someone else initiated this, um, because of where they think Salesforce is headed or no, do you I'm think saying, Salesforce, Salesforce initiated, initiated it, it, seeded the rumor as almost as a distraction. In fact, that's what I'm thinking this whole time. We just talked about this, how the news of this baseless crap is, has taken all the oxygen out of the out of the room for for news, right? Well, and then of course, what do you, what should you always think about when something like that happens? What are we being distracted from? Yeah, that's always what's. I mean, it's, it's the squirrel. It is squirrel. <laughs> that's exactly what this is. <laughs> okay, make a note. I need to get that on my soundboard. I need a squirrel. Yeah, we do need a squirrel. So, so yeah, it's like what is what is really going on here? What is this distracting us from intentionally or just or or by chance? What is this distracting us from? And maybe that maybe that maybe it's the Salesforce is just going to have a problem keeping to the run rate that they've set the expectations for. 
And so either they just want a distraction, something to pump up the stock, or they really are like, hey, maybe this is a good time. If they can get, if they can get Microsoft to pay, so Salesforce is selling, selling it. Well, first, first of all, before they announced this, Salesforce was selling it like 63 bucks a share. They can get Microsoft to come in and, and bid at $75 a share. Considering that Salesforce hasn't had profits ever, and they've got all these issues with how, they, how they're burning stock and all this kind of stuff, and someone's willing to pay 75 bucks a share for this company, why not cash out? First of all, all the, all the, all the investors in Salesforce, all the founders, they're all going to be, if not billionaires, multimillionaires. Plus, they've all got, um, all the executives have like severances. So for whatever reason, if they, like if, if the company buys them or whatever, you know, they all immediately get a, like a, it's not actually not that much considering the money they're going to make on stock, but it's millions of dollars in, in just an immediate, um, severance bonus. Um, and we've, talk, we, and we've talked about what that would mean for Benioff, what he could do, especially if he's if he does if he decides to not work at the whoever the acquiring company is, you know, he frees him up to do all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, and he's he's lately he's he's been really focused on on his charity and even just political and social economic issues. I mean, he's just been out there tweeting and consuming and being a part of all these big parties and everything. It's just been his thing lately. So I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if if the price was right and Benioff's like, you know what? Hey, I'd I'd rather do this other stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a bunch of committees I'm chairing. I have these foundations and this and that, and my time is getting pretty thin. Yeah. And, you know, considering Microsoft and Oracle both have the cash to buy Salesforce, you know, here's, here's an argument for why not go ahead and buy Salesforce? Because you, I think, I mean, look at look, how much money do you make on your cash right now? So you, what does your bank account pay you right now? You know, what's your bank paying you for interest on your cash? Nothing. Nothing. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't, there's nothing, you know, you're just losing money if there's, you know, especially if there's inflation, right? So why not, if you've got that cash, why not put it somewhere? So that, so for Microsoft Oracle, I think, I think that's an argument. Um, but the interesting thing for Microsoft to me is that's, that'd be such a culture shift. I mean, that would be a difficult, I think that would be a difficult acquisition to integrate, to digest. I mean, Microsoft has been investing heavily in, in what is it, Dynamic CRM for, what, 10 years now? Yeah. I mean, that's, they've got a big asset there. And what does that, what does it mean if you buy Salesforce? Right. Do you dump one of these? Well, I can't uh, imagine that. Dave Carroll, he, he was at the recent uh, Microsoft Ignite conference, and um, he was there looking at some of the tooling, and they also kind of announced the, and showed off the Salesforce integration with Outlook. Um, but in one of his tweets... He goes, I'm going to go see what's going on at the Dynamics booth. Right. Took a picture because it was empty. You know, there's no, and I don't know if he was just, he just took it, it happened to be there when nobody was there. Maybe another session was going on, but it was, it was a funny little jab, you know? Yeah. Well, they like to do that. But I mean, is, is Dynamics doing that great? I don't know. I mean, it's part, we talked about that, what, a week, a couple weeks ago, how they're, their cloud business is growing very fast and dynamic CRM is, I guess, part of that. It's part of their software as a service. Um, so they don't break out dynamic CRM itself is not broken out. So we don't really know for sure, but it seems to be, it seems to be growing at a, at a pretty good clip. And I mean, Microsoft's already in, yeah. all, you know, every, they're already in the enterprise. So I don't know. I think, I think, it, I think CRM's probably gotten some pretty good traction. Well, I mean, given that they, if they want to stick with, I mean, it's tough because Dynamics is a CRM. It's not a <clears throat> a platform per se, as Salesforce is or claims to be, depending on how you want to define the word platform. But 
I mean, from from a CRM, they're direct competitors. But Salesforce is more than just a CRM. It is, it is a platform. It does have all these other things going for it. And they they also have other acquisitions under their belt. It's they have the marketing Eloqua. They have all these other things that does increase right. their value. Salesforce now is kind of like this hodgepodge of software as a service products, right? right? So, I mean, I, I, I if Microsoft buys them, I think it doesn't bode well for Dynamics because I think Salesforce is the more attractive product for yeah. them to keep around versus Dynamics. Right. Even if, I mean, I'm sure there's, there are areas in which D- Dynamics is probably a superior product in terms of um, like customizable and the fact that it's probably a bit more standardized in terms of it's all .NET and less, which is not to say .NET's not proprietary, kind of is, but it's, it's it seems less it's proprietary to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's starting to open well, up. Well, yeah, exactly. And they've stand, you know, the languages are, are I mean, C Sharp, for example, is a standardized language and, and there's, you know. Look at the tooling available for C Sharp versus what's available for Apex. If you're going right. to compare them side by side, I mean, there's no question that from a technical technical perspective, there's some areas in which Dynamics is probably just a, a superior product. Right, but developer tools don't sell software. I mean, not to enterprise. Well, that's the and that's of course that's the problem with enterprise software. Enterprise software is everything about it is designed and made to for to be uh, targeted towards the people that buy enterprise software, not the people that use enterprise software. Right. But, you know, if you believe all this crap about developers are the kingmakers nowadays, then maybe developer tools are important. And, and that's a, that'd be a big consideration for anyone buying a CRM. I think it's, I mean, I think it's short-sighted to not consider that. That's right. kind of stupid. But there's a lot of pe- stupid people running companies nowadays, so. But, yeah, it would just be such a strategic shift for Microsoft, I think. Of course. So let's, but, let's- but that... It, I mean, you could, I mean, sales or Microsoft right now is nothing but a big strategic shift since Nadella took over. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's I mean, just, it's, it's like, it wouldn't surprise me in, a year ago. It would, it would be, a, it would surprise me now that it would not surprise me if Microsoft said, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd buy sales, we'll buy Salesforce. And I'm, I'm encouraged by some of the things that they've been doing lately. I mean, I, I'm encouraged by, you know, .NET going open source. I'm encouraged by the new visual code tool that's, that's out there. That's cross platform. I'm encouraged by what I see from Windows well, they, 10 and uh, the new internet, um, their new browser. I'm not going to call it Internet Explorer. The new browser. The what Edge is that browser. called now? It's uh, called Edge. Edge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also encouraged by um, what the whole their whole infrastructure and platform as a service team. What's it? Um, Azure. Yeah. Um, the fact that that is basically cross platform. I mean, you can run your Linux VMs and your Docker and all you know all that stuff in in Azure. So. There was, you know, Microsoft, there was a, I didn't follow it that much and I knew we wouldn't have time to talk about it, but they had one of their big conferences, uh, was it last week? Um, there's just tons of news flying, but a lot of it was about, you know, are we, are we living in a Windows world? And I think actually Barb Darrow, our former Giga Ohm friend who now landed at Fortune, I think, um, she got a, a, an interview with Nadella and she, she asked him that, is this, is this a Windows world we live in still? And, uh. I don't know the answer because I didn't read the article, <laughs> but I, I, but you know, that's well, now I'm left with a cliffhanger. I need exactly. to know. Yeah. This will, well, that's your homework. Go ahead and read it. Give uh, me homework. I'm giving anyone homework. Who's interested. I'm just letting you know that's out there. Do you there. think we're still in a windows world? Boy, not near as much. That's for sure. Not near as much. I mean, we, you know, Google docs, um, just the rise of the Mac, right? Uh, tablets phones yes exactly just alternative devices that have made the desktop not the center of our world anymore right 
it's really a mobile world and Windows is hardly anywhere to be found. Yeah, and to that, I mean, Google recently said that uh, mobile searches overtook desktop searches. Right. Yeah. So, no, it's really not a Windows world. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting for Microsoft. It, it makes you wonder. I mean, you know, their cash cow has always been Windows and Office. And I think both of those, it seems like, have been eroding. But, you know, Microsoft still hangs in there. They're performing their, of course, their, you know, massive pushes into, into, soft, into software as a service and, and cloud and Azure and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and also just their realization that, hey, we, we can't be a Windows-only monoculture. Right. Right. We have to be able to play with Linux and Macs and mobile and, you know, different devices and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, I think they're taking that head on. So again, Microsoft has, it's their culture is all about strategic shift right now. So here's another interesting conspiracy theory. What if the reason, so let's say it's true that Salesforce did engage with some bankers for some kind of deal. What if it, what if it's the reason was that for that is because Salesforce is planning on acquiring someone big. Mm. Interesting. Again, we don't know. Right. We just don't know. I don't see that. I, I think, I think the rumors would have swung a different way. I mean, Eloqua was a pretty big acquisition and we didn't have this kind of, kind of rumor mill going. Yeah. I mean, this seems like something that was definitely linked and leaked and leaked for a reason. Some, I, I, I agree with what a lot of people have written and said that, you know, someone, someone came and said, Hey, we thinking about take, you know, buying you out and someone leaked it just to see what the offers would be like out there. Right. Create some competition. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I, I mean, I really think Oracle is the most likely. It seems like a better fit for Oracle. I think it's more exciting if it's Microsoft. And also it, I think it fits in well with what I think where, where I, where I think Benioff's head is at right now, which is focusing on, on his other efforts. Um, I don't know. I've never seen, I mean, does he really want to be CEO of Oracle? Of a combined Oracle, uh, of an Oracle after they buy Salesforce? Maybe. I mean, Ellison's, you know, he's basically retired. Yeah. Um, you do have two current CEOs at Oracle, Mark Hurd and whoever the other person is. Katz, uh, uh, something Katz. Yeah, Katz. So, you know, I don't know how Benioff would fit into that, but that's, I think, I think what happens to the CEO is really a secondary or tertiary consideration. I mean, I think the bigger consideration is how does everyone make out, you know, do the shareholders of Salesforce make out really well. And then for the two entities, you know, how much of a strategic shift is it or strategic fit is it? I think Oracle probably has you think about like Oracle's Oracle's Salesforce, they're not their their software they run, but they're the people actually people, the salespeople. <laughs> they're Salesforce versus Microsoft Salesforce. So I think Oracle Salesforce probably has is more set up to to ingest, you know, Salesforce.com product and all its products, right? They're talking to the similar people. They're more like these enterprise salespeople. And I think also from what I've read, Oracle has more just excess capacity in its, in its Salesforce. They could take on um, Salesforce.com. Right. 
Um, I think Salesforce is a better strategic fit for Oracle because Oracle has what their Siebel product CRM, but they've that's yeah. I don't think that's near as as near bright of a future as as Dynamics CRM does. So I that's think true. Oracle I, think, could, I think Dynamics still has a future, and I think Siebel's on its way out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think exactly. I mean, I think I think Dynamics CRM is a valuable asset that has a future, and, and I think I'm just repeating what you said, but I mean, who? What the hell happened to Siebel CRM anyway? It's, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's still there. People use it, but. And it would seem to fit that, you know, if, if they want to stay in that market, continue to offer a solution, that they might go out and acquire someone. And who better than Salesforce? Right. You know, and, and plus, not, I mean, Salesforce is basically run on Oracle technology. Exactly. I was going to say that's another reason why I think it's a good strategic fit is, I mean, Salesforce's whole platform is built on Oracle, not only the database, but I think they're even on this. Remember the, a couple of years ago when Salesforce and Oracle re upped, like with the, right. the first time they, they I think, for, from what I know, that they had, they really, further cemented their relationship uh, i think i think salesforce bought onto oracle's hardware as well like they're they have some it was from one of their acquisitions they had made a few years ago but they have this wasn't sun something after that but they have you know this hardware and i think i think salesforce had, had bought into that as well so that makes a lot of, that makes a lot more sense i mean <laughs> could you it'd be weird for microsoft to own salesforce and it's it's all running on oracle isn't that weird it would be, and it's, but again, it wouldn't be on. It wouldn't be anything new. I mean, Microsoft has surely made acquisitions before with on companies that were using other technologies. A fifty billion dollar acquisition. Though? Yeah, this is huge. That is you know, huge. And to have and, and that's, that's too big to pick apart and say, okay, now we're point your database to to SQL Server because we both know it doesn't happen that way. No matter how much abstraction you put into it, it's not that easy of just saying, okay, our backend is now SQL Server. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's an article that says uh, most. At the heart of many, if not most, of Salesforce products is Oracle database software, often running on Oracle hardware. You know, moving Salesforce onto Microsoft's technology would be monumental multi-year. Actually, I don't even think they would try to do that if Microsoft yeah. brought them. We've talked about before how I think Salesforce has tried before to get off of Oracle, and they just can't quit Oracle. It's just too hard. There's way too much wrapped into it. Security, performance, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like a ground-up rewrite, and yeah. that's just not going to happen. Um, Benioff used to work at Oracle. I mean, I don't know what's that, what that's worth, but at least I think, I don't know. I think, it, you know, he, that's kind of like his home. It's, you know, what did they say? Like, you know, well, you know how butterflies always know how to like fly back home to where they were born or whatever it was to sea turtles know how to get back to where they were born. They can just smell it. They, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's something, something comforting about home. You know, that's his, that's his, <laughs> it's his destiny. That's it's, his it's, career it's, home. Right. It's, so it's the life cycle of. <laughs> Of of the Oracle VP to mm-hmm. leave and come back and be the the new CEO. Maybe it's time to come back home. Yeah, but it have it he'd have to have for him to come back to Oracle. And even if Oracle bought them for 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 Benioff to stay on and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this. I don't see Benioff taking the number two. Right? There's not gonna be three CEOs at Oracle. No, I don't think he would. I think he'd probably leave the company. But he'd unless leave, they he'd leave the company, CEO, right? he'd leave the company a very rich man, though. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it stands to reason that even if Oracle bought him, he he still might not go with the acquisition. Yeah. Um, I also think that if Salesforce and Oracle, if if they merged, I think they would face less scrutiny from regulators for anti-competitive type of things. As I, I think, I think. Salesforce, Salesforce and Microsoft would, um, Department of Justice would get involved with that, especially since Microsoft's had such a difficult time with the Department of Justice in the past. 
on antitrust. I mean, I feel like there's a whole floor at the Department of Justice building that's dedicated to watching Microsoft and what they do. Microsoft, and I think, Google, I th- Apple, and I think, all the big guys. I think that would make Oracle very happy to see Salesforce caught up in, an ex- in a lengthy and expensive you know, uh, analysis of, by the Department of Justice. So I, I don't know. All right, well, let's, let's move on from what they might do, and let's just move on to what does that mean for us if they do, if they do get bought? Us as a, as the community, us as well, so, partners, developers. Um, yeah, I mean, we, this is something I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about because I've been so caught up in. Well, because it's not really, we don't know that it's happening. No, so it's almost waste energy to sit here and worry is, and go, right. oh my God, what's going to happen? Exactly. To me? But what would it mean? I mean, so anyone in the, I, I think, I think customers would be fine. I think customers will be the ones that get naturally are, are going to be protected um, for the most part. Um, I think, you know, it's always in the best interest of any, all the companies involved to keep things as smooth and seamless for customers as possible. Um, the part well, first, I, I think, I think along those lines, nothing's going to change for a while. I mean, you, if it does go through there, is, there is of course the, the validation by, you know, you just said it and I forgot it. <laughs> the regulatory, whoever's regulating the industry will, will want to evaluate the purchase and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be a lengthy process of, you know, making sure all the I's and T's are dotted and slashed and whatever you want to call it. So it's going to, it's going to be at least what a year, a year to actually make oh, this yeah. deal go through. Uh, probably so. I would think so. So, I mean, e- even if worst case and we think it's going to get bought and shut down, we have a year to kind of figure ourselves out. Right. Yeah. And the, and, and here's the other question. If they got bought, would we still have Dreamforce? This year, yes. Dreamforce could be funny. Uh, that, that in itself was kind of like a clown show. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Siri kicked off. It heard me say something. Oh, wow. It, <laughs> wow, that's funny. Um, no, but I, so I think partners um, always are the ones that get, kind of get screwed in these deals. Um, but, I mean, whoever acquires them is going to need... Oh, imp- well, See, I think whoever acquires Salesforce is going to keep it. I think it's too valuable a property to just buy for the customer base or buy for for whatever. Oh, so it's yeah, going to ha- it, right. they're going to need someone who yeah. already knows how to run it and keep it going. I even see it as something. What, yeah, I think it'd be one of these acquisitions where you buy it and you basically don't. You just let it keep running. Yeah, it's kind of like when Salesforce bought Heroku, right? Right. It's just it's got it's too much of its own thing going, and that customers really need you just to leave it alone, right? I think sales, I think that'd be the same way with Salesforce. That's, that's probably the best case scenario for us in, in either in either direction it goes, whether it's Microsoft or or Oracle. They, yeah, that they just kind of let it let it go. I think now, I mean, a lot of what's been driving Salesforce, the innovation, and the feature list is the fact that they need to keep continue to show that they're growing and everything. So my fear is that if it does go to Oracle or Microsoft, will they let it stagnate? Will they continue the the cycle of three updates or three or four updates a year and all those kind of things. And, and what will the feature set look like? I think operationally, yes, that a lot of that would stay. I mean, I think what's going to happen is, and, and the, you know, Salesforce has had the most difficulty with sales and marketing and, and achieving kind of leverage and uh, some kind of scale on that. So I think, I think what would happen is you'd, you'd see an initial, you know, massive uh, kind of uh, combination of like selling and marketing efforts and probably, bit, you know, a big round of layoffs. That'd be the first thing. Um, and the reason to is because, redundancy. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, if you think of it, for in whoever, whoever buys Salesforce, that's going to mean 
Because Salesforce, you know, they just because of their financial situation, it's going to be a major dilution and hit to whoever buys them in terms of their financial performance. And so if you do buy Salesforce, one of the first things you're going to want to do is try to start to mitigate that. And Salesforce's biggest challenge is in sales and marketing. I mean, they still spend 50% of every dollar they earn on sales and marketing. But overall, I think, I think for those of us out here in the community servicing Salesforce, I think, I think we're going to be all right coming out of it, at least, you know, for the short term. I think so too, because again, the customers aren't going anywhere. You know, they're going to, they're going to be fine and they're still going to need the services of partners and consultants and now the question is, does, does the kind of uncertainty of, I guess they'd have, it's been the way it's handled, right? You know, how the acquisition is handled, how, how they position it, you know, if they say, you know, we're going to leave it as it is and make sure that that's well kind of assimilated by the community. Cause does, wouldn't that affect kind of new customers wanting to come in and buy in into the soft, into the system? If there's a lot of uncertainty as far as the direction and, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah, I you know is it is it but is it is it more uncertainty or is it less uncertainty? Is it an affirmation that Salesforce is not you know is not going anywhere and they're valuable and you know they're worth you know a, a big company buying them? Sure, let's go with that. I like that. I mean, see, I guess it's the half <laughs> glass half full view on it, but I'm not too worried. It, first of all, it's a rumor, but even if it does happen, I'm not too worried about it. I, th- I think it's still going to come, it's still going to be around. It's still going to exist and they're still going to need, you know, people to help them set it up and continue to grow it and maintain it and all those kind of things. I still, th- I still think, I mean, I think my position right now is I think the best thing for Salesforce is, and unless there's something I don't know about, unless they're really in more financial trouble than, than what we know is I think the best, th- best thing for them is no deal whatsoever. Um, you know, if you look at their, their growth rate, and if they can, again, if they can, they can start to stem the losses a little bit. Um, there's really a lot of upside to their, to their stock. And that's, of course, that's what it's all about. All right. Um, what do you think? Think it's going to happen? I think it's all rumors. I don't think anything's really going to happen. <laughs> it's fun think- to talk about. It's, it's fun to kind of theorize and, and kind of do the what if scenarios. But honestly, I, I don't think there's much to this rumor even though we've spent two shows talking about it. Yeah, I think they're in a, I think they're in a good position. I mean, again, unless there's something we don't know. So here's here's uh, an interesting thing. So okay, so right now Salesforce is uh the, yeah, valued at what 45 billion, 47 billion. Um and that's for a company that had revenues of 5 billion last year, but they haven't shown a profit since 2011 and they've never shown like significant profit, right? Um so okay, so the valuation fairly screams for a mostly stock deal which would be dilutive for the acquirer that's what i was just talking about how this is whoever acquires them it's going to dilute their performance right off the bat uh and and oracle and microsoft are really the only companies that i think could take could take that hit um and that have like the technical infrastructure to to turn a profit based on that um okay so assume for the sake of argument uh one of these companies is able to take out salesforce at its present price without a premium, uh, which isn't going to happen. Microsoft would be adding roughly 6% to its sales in exchange for 13% of its equity. Oracle would get a 12% sales bump, but diluted stockholders by about 25%. Um, 
<laughs> so I don't know. I just think it's better for everyone involved. It does. It just financially, unless someone thinks, unless Oracle thinks they could again combine combine their sales and marketing efforts and, and have a big reduction in force to get to profitability or something, it just doesn't make sense. At least in the in the near term. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I have a I have a small short clip that talks to kind of that effect. Let's see. You can see plenty of reasons why this isn't a great deal. Why why a company wouldn't want to own Salesforce? I mean, Salesforce, yes, they've got a lot of revenues, but they've grown a lot of revenues by buying companies, and they, and that's that's sort of a one time gain that's helped them with revenue growth. Furthermore, it's a company with zero profits and uh, basically no free cash flow. Yes, they had free cash flow last year. The prior four years, no free cash flow whatsoever. So some people look at the, the, the asset on the balance sheet of future billings and unbilled billings, and that those could be some great things going down in the future. I, as a skeptic, and as a paid professional skeptic, um, I, I, I would look askance at that a little bit. I mean, so he's saying it's, not only is it... Who, who was that, by So the this way? is, it was on like Bloomberg TV. I don't even know who that was. Um, some, you know, a, finan- a guy, a financial analyst industry analyst or whatever um so you know he's basically saying not only for salesforce may not may not be a good deal but who, how would it make sense for anyone to pay what salesforce is trading at they're trading at what eight times earnings but which is kind of a standard for for that industry um to, or at least to be acquired at eight times earnings but or sorry no eight times revenue not earnings because there are <laughs> there are no earnings that and that's the thing it's like you're paying you're paying this kind of standard rate for this company but what you're going to get is a kick in the shins. That's what you're going to get. All right. <laughs> Title. <laughs> you have any titles yet? Kick in the shins, Whatever man. company buys Salesforce, if it, whether it's an Oracle or a Microsoft or an IBM, that company's going to have less earnings next year as a result of it, and it's going to suffer massive dilution. Um, you know, to choke down a $50 billion acquisition for Microsoft is going to be easier than, say, Oracle. Mm-hmm. But those are both huge companies. But why would they spend $50 billion to see their earnings go down? A dilutive deal like this uh, is extraordinarily rare, even in these frothy times right now. Frothy. Ooh, another title. Frothy times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of like, to, I don't know. I mean, Salesforce, is a, they have got a great product, and there's a lot of value there. But it's the, for the price you're paying, again, it's like a, you know, it's kind of a kick in the shins. How are you going to? You're, you're digging, you're immediately digging yourself a big hole that you have to start or you're climbing out of somehow. Right. And, you know, Salesforce hasn't been able to climb out of it so far. And maybe they haven't had an interest because they don't care about the shareholders. All they care about is their stakeholders. Um, yeah. But if they haven't been able to do it, what makes you think that you'll be able to do it? Well, maybe there is something. Maybe, maybe Oracle does think that they could do it, but I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know that Oracle's. You guys, don't the shareholders have to prove this, both the buyer and the seller? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I. Oh, I don't know. I don't. Would you? If you're an Oracle shareholder, would you? Would you approve that? Only if they can demonstrate that they could make it profitable. I think it would. I think they could try to promise. I mean, with with, with the way it is sitting today, you know what what changes would take into effect that would all of a sudden make that profitable? All of a sudden, um, massive reduction in labor force by combining you know selling and a lot of operational efforts too there's always like hr and all all types of um internal operations that usually get reduced after an acquisition like that yeah i mean it it is a big chunk and it is going to hurt when someone does it but uh, 
Anyways, yeah, I think we've well, talked that one to death. I agree. Let's move on. Okay. What's next? I got to give Salesforce a hard time. Okay. I got to give them a hard time for the damn May the Force Salesforce be with you campaign. I guess it, and it's May the Salesforce. 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 It was, this was for May the 4th, right? This, which it's is, not the 4th. It's not Salesforce. It's just Salesforce. Well, I know, but it was for the May the 4th to be with you. Yeah. Right? You know what the day after is called? What? Revenge of the 5th. <laughs> <laughs> May the Salesforce be with you. It was pandering to us geeks, man. No, I it's, it's a fun, tongue-in-cheek uh, campaign. I mean, it wasn't meant to be serious. They, they had a bunch of little Twitter pictures and things, the various quotes from the movie, and yeah, had their little tagline, you know, may the Salesforce be with you. It was all in fun. It was kind of cheesy, but it was all in fun. Well, uh, the may the fourth be with you w- was funny and cute like five years ago. Yeah. As of two years ago. a little ago, late to the game. So as of I two guess years ago, it started like, getting annoying and lame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, in news, Accenture acquires tequila. Yeah. The Pee Wee Herman song. That will forever be the Pee Wee Herman song. I know, isn't it? Yes. I. That's all. Whenever I hear that song, I think Pee Wee Herman. The platform shoes. Yeah. The platform shoes and that dancer is pointing at you know front and back. Uh, good times, good times. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you ever. There's a guy named uh, Wes Nolte who's. Uh, I think I, I think I follow him on Twitter. He's um, their CTO. So I don't know. I've seen him on Twitter forever. That's uh, the only person I know there. I don't know. There might there's a few others you. Uh, trying to think from the company, right. yeah, from yeah. Tequila. I guess they're, they're, they're fairly big, right? Yeah, they're for, they're re, they're. I guess they're relatively big, but they're also a fairly relatively young company. They're only five years old. I think I think what I saw is they were established in 2010. They did get some uh, Salesforce venture funding, and now uh, Accenture has acquired them. Uh, so the dirty little secret of the Salesforce partner ecosystem is that lots of them have Salesforce funding. Um, where's yeah, our Salesforce know, funding, man? I told you, man. We've talked about this. We can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Salesforce, if you want to fund us, give us a call. Um, no, you know, Tequila is one of these companies that there are very few partner companies, Salesforce partner companies that I feel like are innovative at all. And I think Tequila is actually one of them. Is innovative. Is, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw some of the tools and things that they have and some of the different things. It looks like they tried to attack, you know, certain verticals, but they also had some just tools of the trade that they developed and put some polish on, yep. um, you know, to kind of help their customers and also just kind of put out in the community, which is really nice. Yep. So, yeah. Oh, good. Congratulations, guys. Hope you got rich off of it. Yeah, I hope so too. And can I somehow get part of that deal? <laughs> too late, man. Of course, you're a Johnny come lately. I know. I'm late to everything. We were just saying we should buy Salesforce stock like a week before and then all this happens and it's yep. up. Yep. Now I don't want to not until it settles down again. All right, so you're going to school me on custom metadata types? Yeah, because we uh, we talked about it. Now, it's not out yet, and I don't have a summer 15 environment just yet. So everything I know about it is kind of just based on articles I read and, and um, from various places. So basically what you're saying is you're just making all this up. I'm just kind of talking from my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to pretend I know what I'm talking about so that uh, I can feel important. All know. right. Oh, yeah, custom meta types. So, yeah. So, last time we talked about this, I, and I still don't know what they, I haven't read up on these, so I'm hoping you're going to give me a good lesson here. But my 
I didn't understand like what the value or how this would even how this would even work. So, okay, so explain what are custom metadata types. Well, they're essentially custom settings. There you go. Uh, they're like list custom <laughs> settings, but with records that are metadata. Oh, that's yeah, so you, good. You'll actually, it's, so I it's, can deploy these with metadata. Right. And in fact, you were asking me this oh, a couple weeks God. ago. You were like, oh, I got these custom settings and I got this configuration. And I, how do I get that in there? I'm like, well, you have to export it and import it. Well, you have to do like a data migration in yeah. addition to. And because Salesforce separates the data world from the metadata world, which right. I mean, I don't want to get into that argument. I, mean, I understand why it might make sense. But anyway, it makes you can't do atomic deployments. Right. Well, with these, you'll be able to, to you know, what the way this article tried to present it was the metadata because it's metadata metadata. It's two layers is is basically what it is. You have the my brain just exploded. <laughs> the meta is meta <laughs> title. Um, two titles. So you have the what they're calling the header, which is the the main metadata for the object itself, and then the actual information, the records themselves, is considered metadata, which means you can deploy that as well. Totally deleted my title, man. I didn't touch it. Yeah, you totally deleted it. I put a title in there and it's gone. I, I forgot what it was it. now, too. It was earlier. Wow. Yeah, you deleted it. Let me get back to my stuff. All right. However, this first version of uh, metadata types is going to be handicapped a bit. So you'll, you'll be able to deploy these um, from your org, and ISVs will get to use them, and they'll also get to deploy them. Um, however, record protection is kind of an issue. Um, you won't... I'll have to kind of read this so that you can understand, but... It doesn't really have a native user interface from what I understand. So I'm not sure how you create records for that metadata. I'm not sure if you just create a, maybe an XML file or JSON file and you save that and that's the metadata for it. I'm not sure. Um, but that's supposed to be coming in a future release. It won't be in this release, but it's some kind of native UI to be able to, to manage all that. Hmm. Um, the security model is kind of interesting. Um, based on the way this article that I, that I read kind of, paints the picture is if you deploy it as a protected managed package, meaning you can upgrade it because it's considered metadata and not data users can't edit it. So it's, it's going to be hidden and protected. If you want unprotected data, then you would create a extension, an unmanaged package that goes along with your managed package for them to install oh, that they can't manage. That's a disaster. Well, again, first release, that's what they're saying. This is going to be like, now, in the future, they're hoping to add security model around it so that you can specify certain fields that can be editable from your metadata. So you're able to package it up and say these fields can be editable by users and these ones can't. Um, so I think it's going to get better as time goes on, but this first release of is going to be a bit handicapped. So I don't think everyone's going to jump on it and start rewriting stuff just yet, unless it's strictly for configuration, you know, strictly things that you need for your application. Now, Again, because it's metadata, you, your users don't have the option to modify it. So any kind of changes you need to, to happen to that is going to have to be deployed as an update. So what are the, what are the, what's a good use case for custom metadata over a custom setting? Well, until we get the things like the, the additional security around being able to modify certain things or give permissions for the user to modify certain things over other things, um, at most it's going to give you the ability to to kind of deploy that your configuration data without having to do something extra. Seems really fixed though. Like I'm thinking of like things I've done it in the is. past. I mean, like it's, a, it's not, it's not meant to be this kind of dynamic configuration thing like that. It's meant to hold your configuration, your, your very specific data. That's not going to be changing. It's for your application. It's meant for developers to consume. 
it's things that you need that you need to build a change, yeah. but that you don't need users to be it's changing. Kind of things that are, yeah, just immutable. Like yeah. they're never going to change. It's, I mean, that's, I'm scared to I'll give an example why I'm, I'm scared of that. So imagine um, a mapping of like country names to ISO country codes, right? Well, I guess, first of all, countries change. This is a, this is kind of a changing world we live in. Countries do change. They, they rename themselves. They split. There's wars right. and all this other stuff. But also a more practical uh, scenario would be the way that they've chosen, chosen to spell a country name. And maybe they don't want to say the people's, what's the actual, okay, so what we call South Korea, the full name of that, or North, or, you know, there's some other, like, there's the people's something, what, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. It's some long name. So maybe uh, you need that flexibility that they could go in and edit, right, that, what's in that, that mapping, or maybe the, you know, way things are spelled or something like that. And so it would scare me to do that as a custom metadata type, because... Well, that that's something you can as solve an ISV, by if I'm an ISV. But right? you have to you have to architect your application the right way. So you may have a list of let's take your your country code example. You have a list of countries that you support with your application. You don't want users going in and adding a bunch of extra things to that list because you code it specifically to handle for certain things. Maybe it's some logic or maybe some regulation rule or something that depends on you only supporting these certain types. If now, that's the case, I'm not, I'm saying where I don't, I don't really care what the country code is. I just have to provide this facility that maps, well, like maybe they have a pick list of a drop down pick list of country names and I need to get the country code from that. Yeah. Right? And, that, and what I'm thinking is, is that you map your codes to a label and they're able mm-hmm. to change the label. Yeah. I mean, if you need to solve for that scenario, but I mean, I, I know it's just an example, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it, it's going to change how you architect things. Cause you are going to have this kind of static data set. You know, it's only editable by the by the developer. Mm-hmm. And again, it's going to be things the developer kind of needs to configure. You know, maybe it's some rule logic, maybe it's some formula calculation that that he needs that he knows he might have to tweak or change at some point. Right. But doesn't want to hard code that in the code. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be for that for that type of scenario that okay. you're going to use that for. Yeah. Um, and then as we get you know better options to manage and and manipulate that, you know, with the UI, then we can start opening it up to things that where certain things are editable by our users or by the, by the users themselves. Yeah. yeah so the, I, I don't know if you're looking at this blog post, but it's how to use custom meditate metadata types to save years of development on app configurations. I'm not sure what they mean by that. I'm not sure it's going to solve years. I think if you're trying to build out your own kind of system for managing your configuration and I, I guess because what it's trying to say is, is in order to do certain things, you have to write tools. So if, Previously, if you deployed a custom setting, but you had a certain configuration, they have all these events that you can hook into after a deployment happens that you can maybe create data for, or you might have some package that the user has to run afterwards or some kind of code or, or even just kind of go in as, and as part of a professional services engagement to configure the application. And part of that is to load all of the, you know, metadata configuration that you need to have for your system. That's what's happening today. And so this hopes to solve a lot of that. Yeah. They have work to do still, I think. All righty. Are you convinced? No. No? No. You don't see yourself using it anytime soon? One thing it does do is um, you don't have to use CL data. You can configure your application data, and you could use it in tests, and you don't have to have CL data like you do custom settings. Yeah. Or with custom settings, you have to actually create the data. 
A con is that right now you can't actually create data for that configuration using Apex code. So you, it's not like an insert or updatable object. Yeah. Where are we on not having to use CL data for opportunity and anything related to a price book or opportunities? Has that been solved? Uh, I haven't tested that lately. Uh, I remember hearing they were working on that. I, I heard them working on it. I thought it was either in the last release or coming in this release. I'll have to double check. Maybe we'll put it on for as an update, but um, I actually haven't had a requirement dealing with those objects lately, so I haven't had a reason to go in and double I mean, check I, it. Just I think about like half of the tests that I have are have, have CL data uh, true because you know in some way or another, so many so many things ultimately relate back to a you know a price book entry or, or an opportunity. You know, when you're setting up tests, you need to create opportunities and and opportunity line items. And of course, that means you have to have price books and therefore, you know, now you're back in CL data true. And, and if you're testing things that really don't have anything to do with price book entries, but you're but you're creating some other kind of record that did then trigger something which has something to do with price book entries. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, you know, any it's like the six to you, know, you have the six degrees of uh, no need, less than six a, degrees I of separation like a, between a Google map for that train of thought right there. <laughs> well, it's, just, it's so easy to get back to an opportunity and right. that if anything, somehow or another, you know, tr- cascades to getting to an opportunity then you've got to have cl data is true so i mean yeah and it's i mean i guess so for the custom metadata types it doesn't require cl data to be true and that that's good i guess um although it's not that big of a deal i mean for um for custom settings i i don't ever use cl data true i just insert a custom setting record as a part of the test setup no that's not that big of a deal i mean that's not near big of a deal as the opportunity problem so i guess it's really the price book problem right standard price book yeah, I think for me lately, most of my clients have not really been using opportunities in that way. They're not using products or price books or anything like that. So that's nice. I haven't had to deal with that yeah. in a while. I might I might be atrophied a bit on on that stuff. Uh, okay, so do you are you an expert on this platform cache? I am an expert. Even no, though, not even really. that's not even though you, no one's ever. It's not even coming it. out to yeah. Winter Sixteen, so <laughs> we don't we don't really know anything about. But I'm excited about you it. You don't have inside access to it. No. No, in your own Salesforce instance? No. No, not yet. Don't have any inside connections? No. <laughs> I haven't knocked any doors. Maybe yeah. I'll try. <laughs> I don't even know if they've even piloted this yet. Um, from what I understand is they, they have an internal caching system that they use internally, but they're apparently re-architecting that whole system um, and then are also going to build in a component of it that we can use in Apex. Actually, um, from what I read, Apex and declarative formulas... Well, whatever that means, I'm assuming workflow. Um, I'm assuming those type of things will be able to use it. Okay, so that's where this is. If that's the case, that's where this is going to get a little tricky. So what we're talking about here is Salesforce announced that there's this going to be this new feature called Platform Cache. I guess is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Until so they, basically, what until we're they talk- make it the Cache Cloud. <laughs> exactly. It's the ninth <laughs> cloud. Yeah, I guess it's on cloud nine. <laughs> uh, title. If you'd quit deleting my titles. I, I added even, two and they're gone. They're just gone. I I'm not even, touching that. You know, they're, they disappeared. Uh, Google Docs for you. Not enterprise ready. Um, okay, Maybe so what it use is Microsoft 360. So it's a. It'll be fine. I don't care. Um, it's probably not any better. Okay, so basically, so what this is, it's a key value store. It's not. It's not a document database. It's not. You know. It's. A, we're talking about a key value. You know, in, in memory cache. It's. Pr- it's, it's like. It's like it's, a map. It's an exactly. in-memory map. You'll be able to just yep. put data and get data. So just like you use normal maps, you know, with certain data types, you'll be able to say, 
put this key with this value. So, so here's where it gets tricky. And especially as it, as it relates to potentially administrators somehow getting access to this and formulas and things is that it's, it's uh, non-deterministic whether or not you put something in that cache that you're going to get it back when you ask for it. It may be gone, right? right? So yeah. it has to be something that you can, at any given point in time, if you don't find something under a certain key, you just recreate it, right? And then stick right. it back in the cache, right? Which well, means you'll basically have somewhere some kind of instantiation method or singleton method that basically goes and says, hey, is this there? No, then create it. Sure. Stick it firm. in the cache. Right. And then return whatever's there. Yep. Um, and they don't really, you know, who knows what their invalidation policy is or and that can, it could all be subject to change. We, and, we could end up getting some attribute types or new attributes for Apex that says, you know, here's how you instantiate this type of metadata. I'm not sure. Um, maybe there's some, maybe they'll have some kind of callback function, which I really doubt that will let you create it or something. Yeah. Um, for it to, and and again, that's strictly for it to work with declarative formulas because otherwise I'm not sure how you would do that within that. I mean, I saw a lot of people comment on this and, you know, this is amazing. Like, okay, well, first of all, it's just a key, it's a key value store, big deal. But also this is more to solve Salesforce's problems than ours. This is going to make sell for, for all of Salesforce customers running certain scenarios, it's going to, they're going to be able to use this and it's going to be much cheaper for Salesforce to operate and much, it'll be much less of a drain on Salesforce's resources because it's going to be, they're setting up a cache, right? It's much cheaper to go get something from the cache than it is to recompute it every time. So it's better for Salesforce's infrastructure. Well, it's, it's, it, uh, instead of allow, well, it, it fixes the view state issue. Um, so no, no. Okay. It does. But no, because when view state, you need view state to be there. View state will always be there. Yes. This cache may not, you may go to grab it and it's not there. What are you going to do now? You just well, lost your whole, you just lost your view state. You, you can't count on it like that. Well, well, let's, well, first let's clarify. There's two different levels of caching here. There's an org level caching and right. then there's a user level caching. So right. each user will, will potentially have its own session. Now, again, it's not durable. It's not meant it's to not be there. It's not even a session, right? It's not even considered a, it is, I know what you're saying. It's, it's scoped to a, to a particular right. user. But it's not really, it's not a session. It's not, you know, it's not something that like, as long as you, you know, as you hit it every 15 minutes, that session stays alive at any moment that you could, you know, don't ever, don't ever expect that you can use it like that because it could, your values could disappear at a moment's notice that, you know, Salesforce, because anytime, you know, if, if one of these uh, servers, you know, power cycles or or resets for whatever reason, it's, it's gone, you know, they don't guarantee it. They, they, you know, they can invalidate the cache whenever they want. And so you really can't use them. I, I thought about that. There's we also were, internal mechanisms. So if you chunk, you know, 100,000 records once and then you try to chunk in another 100,000, it might say, hey, I'm, I'm getting rid of this other 100 you put in before. And, and you're, I mean, we don't know what those numbers are, right? right. Salesforce is probably never going to tell us what those numbers are. They just Basically, what they're telling us is that use, it, use it like a, a non-durable key value store. And, and that doesn't, so that doesn't qualify for something like view state though. You, you know, view state's always there. It's sitting literally in the markup of, of a page on a client somewhere. Right. Yeah. But I mean, depending on how much information you're trying to stick in that view state, it can really slow things down. It can oh, slow I, down, you know, page load absolutely. times, right. you know, postbacks and everything. Totally so great. if I mean, you have the option to try and stick it in there, I would. You can stick it in there. Don't get me wrong. No, I mean, not don't, in the view state. I mean, in the cache. I know. That's what I'm saying. You can stick it in there. But just don't expect don't don't if you dip, if you need that back out don't don't do it. It will be a bad practice to assume that your cache data will always be there. Exactly. I a mean, best practice. I'm trying to poke at oh. you. <laughs> a best practice will be to make sure that you uh you yeah. know you have a way of accessing that information 
requiring it again or however, right. yeah. you know, rerun that subroutine to get that information. Well, what you're, what, so you but just, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, if Salesforce is fairly lenient with what stays in that cache, and time will tell, maybe, maybe at first they'll be really restrictive and maybe they'll open it up over time, but if they're fairly lenient, you could, it will improve the performance of your application. Because now you're reaching into memory, not trying to parse could you know right. raw data back into an object i mean the amount of compute that you can do at any one time in salesforce is so limited anyway basically nothing can take longer than you know you know 10 seconds or whatever and it we've is. run I into mean, these issues before where we have a massive list that we need a, a user to kind of review and make some decisions on and then take that same list and perform some additional actions and then perform another highly intensive action afterwards and so you run into view state issues and you run into cpu timeout issues yeah and previously, with that same set of logic, you'd run into um, statement limit, right? Until they got rid of that. So, I mean, you know, Salesforce. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you know one thing this might be helpful is um, people who are um, unfortunately using Salesforce to back their web pages. They're running like a what is it a sites or is it site dot com? I can't remember which is which. They're different things. I think it's considered sites. Um, basically, when you're if you're running if you're using Visual Force pages as your kind of like a public web page or whatever, which is again. Unfortunate because Visual Force performance just isn't up to up to par for that. But this, if you're doing stuff like that, this could help. I mean, right? If I think it's going to be valuable for that. You could you could cache whole uh, whole um, t- instantiated te- you know templates, parts of parts of a, an HTML document. Just keep it cached, right? All right. Now, depending on how we can access that cache in Visual Force and stuff, if you can kind of merge in, you know, ca- already generated but cached um, mm-hmm. parts of pages and things that don't change often. I mean, that's huge for performance. But again, if you if you care about performance that much, if like if you have a a site that is had, gets a different, decent amount of traffic and it really depends on being low latency, you're you're not using Visual Force anyway. Well, I think this is another example of where mobile is driving a lot of these features because I think it's far more valuable for mobile to have this type of caching. You're you're in a single page application where you're having to jump from page to page within a single session. Mm-hmm. You know, say say you have a mobile of a list of records. And you don't want to really have to query for that list every time. So you click on one You're of them. You're talking about a client-side cache? Well, a mobile application is nothing but a web browser application running. And so when you click on one item, you're redirected to another page to load the details of that item. So let's say you have a list of clients, and you click on each one, and mm-hmm. that goes to another screen to show you all the details of that client. Yeah. Well, with caching, you could store that list of either full records or even just the IDs or whichever. And, you know, when the user goes back, you have a much faster way of accessing what they had before. Storing that on the client, in the client though, or on the server? No, on on the server, on the cache. So you're not incurring that additional query. You're not having to incur all that extra expense of doing the query, rebuilding that list and all that. Your list is already there. It's already formatted. You just grab it and show it again. Yeah. It gets tricky though on determining whether what's in the cache is still valid or not. But again, it's the same routine. The routine says, go get my list and, you know, it's either there or it's not and you get it. And the user either clicks refresh or not. But when, that at what point does that, let's say that does stay in cache for a while, like doesn't get invalidated for a long time or doesn't get purged. Um, how long is that list? At what, at what point does that become stale? Like how do you, how long do you depend on that being, would you not want to go back and just hit the database again to make sure, you know, that's. It, well, and this, along, uh, because they're building this up from the ground up, another thing they mentioned in this article is that they, they are offering cache management tools. They are supposed to build out a whole tool set to help you manage the cache. And those, that tool set supposed to let you segment cache sizes and things like that. And yeah. even ISVs will get their own cache. So their application will run in their own cache. Okay. 
so you can kind of manage so, some of that yourself. That's pretty cool, actually. I'm yeah. kind of surprised Salesforce is giving you that much control. I mean, this, they're famously like this, you know, use our database, but we're not giving you any access to, you know, what, what type of indexes and just any number of things that you're actually concerned about if you're, built, if you're using a database right. on your application. Um, they don't give you access to any of that. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see them let you kind of structure how you want to use that, that yeah. cache. And, 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 and hopefully that, that will also let you tweak how aggressive the, I don't know what you call it, the garbage collection, I guess I'll call it, routines are for that particular, you know, cache that you set up. Yeah. I mean, that would be interesting if they, if they did that yeah. to that and, degree. And can you, I mean, are you going to be able to define your own, you know, your own cache invalidation like type of logic? Right. That would be interesting. Yeah. I doubt it, but that would be interesting if they did. I mean, if, if you can't, then the cache becomes, that whole feature becomes not as useful because. But it's, it's power, it's, it's granularity over ease of use. I mean, I think this is meant to solve a very specific performance issue that they can't solve any other way. I think there's several classes of issues, though, that you can use this type of cache for if, if you can tune it and if you understand the characteristics of how, how it invalidates and All right. when things get purged. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually, I mean, I don't know. It's, um, it's a tool. You know, as with a lot of these things, you probably will end up seeing more misuse than proper use. But that's Salesforce. So just off the top of your head, what do you think you might use? Either a global cache or user-specific session cache. Let's take desktop, Salesforce, UI stuff. I mean, I always think of high volume scenarios. I mean, that's really what I think cash is most valuable for. Um, so things that don't necessarily change often, or maybe they, let's say they might, it may, you might um, invalidate your cash every minute, right? So that means if you get in a, in a minute, you get 10,000 hits, you just generate, you know, your page header once and stick it in cash. And then, and then the, all the, performance of having to generate that page header you know going to maybe you're you know it's got a couple database queries and whatever and then you're templating it and all that stuff just do that once for a minute stick it in cache and then the next ten thousand hits are just getting that's getting pulled out of cache which is in memory it's not hitting a database whatever that can save that can be a huge performance increase um one of the things i I can think of is um integrations session management with a third-party api Again, as long as, that, you, as long as you don't have to have it. I mean, the, the concern is like, can are you okay with it getting invalidated right, right in the middle of an integration or something? Yeah, because I mean, it, what it means to me is that I can have a, say I have an integration with, with the SAP back office or something, and they gave me a token. Uh-huh. Now I can store that token globally, org-wide, because it's it's a single user integration. You yeah. know, it's, it's a it's a you know, a system admin pipe, so to speak, right between the two systems. So I can stick my, my ID up there. Now, anybody who's accessing the system, I don't have to incur the extra expense of doing a login call every time or get a new token. Until that expires, the system throws back an error, and then I go through the process of reauthenticating. That's true. And it kind of, again, as long as the scenario, and as long as the, the invalidation scenario or characteristics are okay with you, it kind of solves the problem of, you know, in Salesforce and with like with Apex and statics, statics get, destroyed every time right a, a transaction you don't have like if you know if you instantiate or if you set some static or initialize some static thing for uh for a transaction i mean it, it immediately goes away and then the next person gets a completely different all the statics are new again right right um this kind of might solve that a little bit again if you're, as long as you're okay with you know if, if it does disappear out of cash you can just redo it and it's not a, if it's not a big deal right so um, let me let me throw an idea at you what do you think about a global blocking flag 
say you have a method and you only want it to run once, no matter how many users are triggering it. Once at a time? Well, one thing, you can do that already. I mean, just do a query with like four update or something with the four update clause. Yeah. That'll block. But we're not doing queries. We're, we're interacting with an external system or running some, some complex business logic. or. But you could use a record as like a semaphore or something and block on a specific record. Just have everyone block use that same record as like this special thing that so do you think incurring the dml i've query? never tried that by the way don't don't count me on that i've never actually tried that but i think if i did want to have uh, that's the first thing i would think of and at least in salesforce is as far as, far as a way to do that again because statics aren't shared across users and transactions right so is that what you're saying use it as something like that if you have a global cache the question uh, is it's is, an idea i mean is is that a valid use for it the question is is how does this uh you know does this what are the acid properties of this cache right are you know, are, is it consistent? Is it, um, is it, uh, is it, uh, what's the word? Um, is it, yeah, could I say consistent? You know, is, mm-hmm. is it, is it eventually consistent or is it always consistent? You know, if, if I'm in the middle of something and you change something, do I get, is your change of, um, available immediately to me or is it only on my next transaction? There's, you know, yeah. All, again, on, on real applications uh, with real companies with that are running important stuff, this stuff all starts to really matter. I would imagine it's an in-memory cache. It's an in-memory data store. And as soon as you make a change, it becomes available to you. Yeah. But there's no, I, there's not going to be any kind of event management or triggering system that says, hey, this changed, you know, check it again. Right. So you're right. just going to have to be very active at checking that well, if you're dependent on a value that's Well, let's in say there. there's a global counter, like it's just an integer or something. And every time someone does, every time you. Oh, that hit, would be a horrible use case. I'm just saying like, because, because then you get in the problem. Okay. You read from the cache and let's say the number is 100. You say, okay, I'm going to increment that. You increment it to 100 and then you got to put it back in the cache. Well, in that time, three other people might've read and incremented that value. But so now you're putting a stale value back in. So that's again, the question of how, how do transactions work? Or is there any, or should you not even count on transactions? You know, should you. Well, that would be a, a good, good example of a, of a reason to use blocking. I mean, if you have. If you have a, let's ask what transactions are kind of, if at least, at least if you need consistency. Well, I mean, if, if you have a single, single function that returns a incrementing ID and everyone's calling that same function, then it would block until, yeah. but, but even then the, you still, you'd have to sit there and pull well, and write Salesforce, again. It just, it doesn't seem like it, it's going to work for that. So Salesforce doesn't have, Apex doesn't have like, you can't, you can't take a block of code and say this should be and like in the Java world, it'd be called synchronized. I don't know what yeah. it is in .NET world, but like, you know, only one thread can enter this thing at a time. Right. But the, I mean, I think that Salesforce, the challenge Salesforce would have with that is be, because every user is hitting basically a different, their, their own different VM. There's, they, they couldn't possibly, I think, have that kind of synchronized code blocks, at least the, from what I know about the way they've implemented Apex. Right. All right. Oh, I think it's going to be a yeah. valuable tool. I'm sure I think it it's going to have plenty it's, of use. Um, I think it's going to get abused horribly. Well, I think I people gonna are going to do some really horrible, ugly, cringeworthy stuff with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, this is one of those things that it would be gr- a little bit of education help from the sales from Salesforce will, will go a long way. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm sure they'll slip this into their learn to be a coder in eight hours, you know, class or whatever. And like, here you go, here's use here use this global application cache. Just put it in and get it out whenever you want. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> I really hope not. I hope they leave this to the advanced developer class. <laughs> I don't know. Uh. No, I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be good. I think it'll be fun to kind of explore different uses and see what kind of performance you can get out of it. Especially doing things like kitting together different screens and you know certain parts of it that are that are end up static, you know, for the most part, and seeing how that affects performance. Yeah. I think it's going to be a big boost for mobile. I, I think mobile can really 
benefit from that type of session management or, or caching. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. That would be amazing. <laughs> ah, the the soundboard has been uh, quiet today. I know you suck at it, man. No, I'm just I'm conservative. It's 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 an instrument. You got to practice it. You got to yeah. you know just take an hour every day to practice your soundboard so that you can be on point. I need to get you like a big thing with color coded pictures and things. So you know what button to press. Yeah, they're already color coded, man. What difference at this point does it make? Yeah, we're we're almost over. What doesn't make a difference at this point? It's done, man. It's done. It's in the past. It's done. And it's your anniversary, so you got to go. Yep. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. <laughs> Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? <laughs> We just talked about this, how the news of this baseless crap. Hey. What you're going to get is a kick in the shins. Great company and you've integrated oh. perfectly. Oh my gosh. That'd be awesome. Thank you. 